0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Biased, in Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with my co-host,
1: Ed Bardo, and today I'm sitting in lovely Brisbane, Australia, where it's a Saturday already game day, supposedly, <laughs> for the Arizona-Arizona State game, but just as you all know, geography doesn't change the love of college basketball and Arizona basketball.
0: For those of you that don't know the time difference, uh, Brisbane, Australia is 17
1: hours ahead. Yeah, it's quite a bit ahead of, uh, so I could already tell you how, how the game went, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's a big win, right? <laughs> so, so let's
0: get started. We're going to talk about a couple topics here. We've got Arizona versus ASU 2.0. Uh, Ed and I are going to go over Bobby Hurley, whether or not he's on the hot seat. Uh, we're going to talk about ASU dancing uh arizona's seating and then of course the alabama situation what's going on there uh to kick us off though the game tomorrow is at noon so 12 o'clock noon arizona time on cbs uh i made a little joke here i said might be the only time asu has a game played with the march madness theme playing um so (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later uh but in the first game arizona won 69 to 60. Uh, some big notes there is that Arizona was up 45 to 28 at halftime. It looked like Arizona was going to run away with the uh, the game, and that did not happen. Uh, ASU outscored Arizona 32 to 24 in the second half. Uh, just going over the game today, with 13 minutes left in the game, ASU was shooting nine for 11 from the field in the second half with 13 minutes left, uh, and they cut the lead to four after Arizona was up 17 at the half. And for most of that second half, uh, they were, they hadn't missed a shot. So that nine for 11, they had missed those two shots towards that end there at the 13 minute mark. Uh, DJ Horn had four steals and the paint, the paint was won by ASU 36 to 24. And you guys have all heard Ed and I harp on this, that if Arizona outscores their opponents in the paint, they're probably going to win. And uh, this time, ASU outscored Arizona 36-24 to 24 in the paint, and Arizona still won. Um, just some quick stats from that first game. Arizona was 38% from the field, uh, 23% from three, and 86% from the free-throw line. And I should highlight, Arizona shot 24 of 28 free-throws. Um, so yeah, that was,
1: that was big. That was big, and I, that, that was something else, to a big difference.
0: Yeah. And then ASU was 36% from the field, 11% from three and 70% from the free throw line, but they only shot seven of 10, um,
1: that, that, that right there, right there. You yeah. just did a really good one right there, and that was one of the things I wanted to mark about this game. Remember the theme we were talking about, that the importance of what uh, three-point shooting means, and that one of the themes we saw in at least three of the four losses that Arizona had had to do with the fact that Arizona did a large number of three-point attempts but only had a very low uh, three-point success rate. The, f- the field goal percentage was low on that. In this case, you think about this, is that both teams did really horrible for three. Arizona was five from 22, and then ASU three for 27. Three for 27. I think that right there, had ASU been making even uh, their normal number of threes, we lose that game, uh, it's just the way it played out. That just that just statistic is just alarming how bad they shot. 11% from three, which is not not normal for ASU in their normal games.
0: Well, and I might be mistaken on the stats here, so don't quote me, but I believe ASU was made only one three-pointer in the first half, and I believe Arizona made all of its three-pointers in the first half. It was half. on a roll at
1: the beginning, you're right. Yeah,
0: I know Kirk Crease made a couple, Courtney Ramey made a few, and I think Sed Henderson made one. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of odd that that first half was just glowing for Arizona, kind of like what we were talking about last week about Baylor, Kansas, where Baylor was just dominating Kansas in the first half, and then they just let off the gas, and Kansas just said, no, you're not going to take this game from us. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, Baylor couldn't hold on, whereas in this case, Arizona did hold on and won by nine. Uh, But Arizona looked
1: like a totally different team in that second half. Absolutely, and so I can tell you this. As an Arizona fan that was sitting in Desert Financial Arena at that game, the, the intensity of that second half the beginning of the second half where ASU just couldn't miss and Arizona just seemed dumbfounded to react the, the crowd was it was so loud that I was literally measuring the sound in that arena because it seemed almost harmful they were just erupting with excitement and it seemed to like the sound in the arena echoed the energy that was on the court with ASU and it I was we were truly just at a loss to understand how you had such a difference to start the second half. But one thing that was a big factor that we noticed, and this was the time we didn't really have the facts was that we noticed that Balo didn't appear to be playing uh, very well, that he seemed to be playing so low energy. And I don't mean low energy, like he's just not into the game. He truly looked ill and we weren't sure. And so, you know, as we were watching, we thought, gosh, there's got to be something wrong with him. He just doesn't look right. He is lagging. He's not playing his normal game and he looks like he's sick. And then, of course, we found out afterwards that's indeed the case, that he was truly in a – he had a severe illness, uh, intestinal illness and so forth. But, uh, wow, it was surprising to actually see him in that game.
0: Absolutely. And
1: Tubellis, I mean, he definitely was not sick.
0: Uh, he had 21 points and 9 rebounds in that first meetup. And I'm I'm looking for this next game here. I'm looking for Tubellis to get back on track. Uh, this is going to be a big game. ASU is going to play with desperation, right? They should be. They should be. You would hope they would if you're an ASU fan. Um, You know, this is kind of it for them. And it's a brutal, brutal last three games for ASU. They got to play Arizona at Arizona. They got to play USC at USC and UCLA at UCLA. So I don't envy the, the end of their schedule. I know we have to do the LA schools as well. Uh, but I think we, we play OK in L.A. You know, we beat USC last year pretty handily. Uh, we did lose to UCLA by 16 at Pauley Pavilion. Uh, but I look for Arizona to, to come up a little bit stronger. In
1: I, I think so, too. I think Arizona is really going to be charged up to play their ASU. I think ASU has a, 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 a the task before them to they must get. They need to get a, a couple of quad one wins, I think, to really get in. I know their net ranking is uh, is sixty six, but I really, really think that they need to and need to get some quad one wins here. And that's a tough uh, that's a tough way to get them on the road like that. I mean, that's as tough as it gets. UCLA is just on fire lately. It's just UCLA's uh, just really moving up in the uh, rankings here and stuff. And I think that. Uh, It's going to be really, really a challenge for uh, ASU to get any wins here. The, the, The opportunity for them, of course, is if Arizona overlooks ASU on Saturday, we know what that could mean.
0: Well, and Arizona is not used to, or Arizona has had a a small, small, small history of losing to a bad team in McHale when they weren't really paying attention and and thought, you know, overlooked them. And that was Washington State, right? Arizona probably thought, hey, Washington State's coming in. We've got a pretty good record against them. We're going to blow them out in McHale. It's going to be nice and easy. Nope. (laughs) Washington State just ripped us, uh, completely blew Arizona out and kind of left everybody going, what's going
1: on here? It's, it's, yeah, so we can't, can't, we've got to definitely watch out for that. Arizona State had pretty much, given the way their season was going at the beginning, they really had a chance to punch their ticket to the NCAA tourney and make it a no drama. But then they started losing. I guess the game that really stands out was that San Francisco game, right? They literally get blown out by, you know, 37 points by San Francisco. Uh, and, of course, San Francisco shown that it's not a bad team uh, as their season has gone on. And they took Gonzaga to the – put Gonzaga to it. But it it is just – you couldn't afford that. And then they just took on – they just started losing, like losing to Arizona, UCLA, USC. Not, not bad losses and so forth. But, you know, as they went on, just completely losing the Washington road trip or, you know, just uh, – and so forth, they just started accumulating these losses that if they had just gotten a couple of those wins – well, and
0: what, what's so deflating, too, is that with that ASU-UCLA game, ASU was in control for most of that game. They had a really nice crowd, um, very loud, very passionate. You know, that was a big game for ASU, as it should be. Uh, and they controlled most of that game. And then UCLA just pulled away at the end. And and I think that kind of sent them into their own slump. Uh, we'll talk about the slump that they sent Arizona into, because that's the start of Arizona's slump was the second half of the ASU game and onward. Um, but yeah, I, I think that kind of sent ASU into their slump because they were they were hyped up. They were passionate. They were like, OK, we need this win. You know, we're close to getting this win. And then all of a sudden UCLA says, nope, <laughs> we're going to we're going to beat you at your your arena and we're going to take this win from you.
1: And that, that was pretty amazing. And the thing is, is that what was go- going on up to the ASU game was Arizona's. Uh, Twins were basically wiping out the rest of the competition. It's the Bolo-Tubelis combination was accounting for a good percentage of the overall points, rebounds, and all the rest. What well, we can tell about the ASU game that I think is a statistic that really stands out when you talk about the fact that your team is centered on two bigs like Bolo and Tubelis is, think about this, as ASU, not a particularly big team out, rebounds Arizona 44-36. to 36. Mm-hmm. And so that goes back to this, what we were talking about, to Balo being uh, just not up to it and so forth. It became more of a one-man game, and it's a lot easier to guard one guy than it is two big guys down low in the paint. And then, of course, your statistic, uh, then the number you mentioned about points in the paint. Right, right.
0: So what do you expect from ASU on Saturday? You know, this is a noontime game. Obviously, it's not really Arizona-style to play this early in the day, so maybe it can catch Arizona off guard. But what do you expect from ASU being in that desperation mode uh,
1: and needing this win? I, I think what we'll see and uh, what we've seen historically is that what they do in a big game is they come out playing frenetic defense. We've seen them. They run around like crazy, and, and, and I, I expect we'll see that. But what we've seen also with this season with ASU is that ASU tends to – run out of steam pretty quick and they from one moment they're playing just this amazing defense and it's and and even against it when we played them at asu it was at times difficult to get the ball inside and it was difficult to score but then they suddenly just it just stops and i uh, for better or for worse that's what i kind of expects going to happen again tomorrow let's see if they can maintain that for the full uh for the full game I also expect that uh, they're going to – I'm expecting they're going to show some signs of that desperation we're talking about. We're going to see a a lot of chucking, as I call it, where they just start launching up shots and launching up threes. Let's hope McHale's not friendly for them and that they don't suddenly have a, you know, 45% three-point shooting field goal percentage. Yeah, I'd be
0: okay with another three for
1: 27 from three from ASU for that
0: (laughs) 11% field goal percentage from three uh yeah i agree i think you know we can expect a lot from the guards um you know i think warren washington's going to play well he he played well against arizona and you know at desert financial arena um you know i think the cambridge brothers are going to do just fine um dj horn is always good frankie collins is good um i, I still think if this is to game which i believe it will be you know, I think he's just going to open it up and she's just not going to have a chance. I think, you know, they're going to have to focus on Tubelas quite a bit. And I think is just going to have a field day. I feel like our guards have been playing so much better. You know, I'm really relieved to see Courtney Ramey shooting the ball well. Uh, Kirk Kreese is leading the charge with assists. I love that. Um, you know, Kylan Boswell. Hey, did you know he's 17?
1: Wow, they don't mention that enough. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Go ahead. I think you want to continue on that. I was just going to say that this is
0: his last game at McHale as a 17 year old.
1: Oh, that's that we've got to mark that occasion. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny too is have, t- tell me what you think about this. You're talking about the guard play. One of the things I noticed is it's almost as as if somebody's had a talk with uh, Kirk Krasa, and he's been playing a lot better as of late. He's been controlling the ball. His passes are a lot crisper, and of course his three point his three point shooting has been better. And he's getting do, doing better on the assists again because he's uh, as the Pac-12 assist leader. He's just you know he's starting to dish the ball, and and it's not tur- he's not turning it over as much. But it seemed like if you look at the uh, way he's playing, he's not. You know how in a lot of the games and stuff, of course, he he makes the other team a little bit angry because of his, uh, his responses. Oh, wait, my computers. There we go that he he gets all emotionally charged and he starts uh you know he's sticking his tongue out he's doing all these things it seems i've been watching him lately and well he's been really uh doing well and i noticed that he's a lot more focused it appears to me it's like he's his emotion seems to be more contained he's really seems to be focusing on the the play at the moment what are your thoughts on that the word that comes to mind for me
0: is restraint i feel like he's had this restraint over the last couple games where You know, he's focused on his teammates. He's focused on taking smart shots. I feel like Tommy's had a conversation with him. You know, we don't need Kerr to score 40 points a game. We need him to facilitate, you know, the offense. We need him to pass the ball into the big guys. You know, if the big guys are double team, triple team, whatever it may be, then they kick it out. And then that gives you the opportunity to shoot. And I feel like over the last couple of games, he's really taken that to heart. Uh, It's kind of nice to see, actually, Uh, you know, because I do enjoy a little bit of the antics. But when he's not playing well and he's doing the antics, you're saying, okay, Kerr, let's back it off a little bit. Let's focus on, you know, actually scoring some points and actually passing the ball and not turning it over and, you know, throwing the ball directly to the other team when it's, you know, it didn't need to happen. Um, So, yeah, that restraint has been really nice to see. And that's what we need going into March. I think, you know, he's starting to realize that this team can win. Tons of games, especially in March, if he knows his role and, you know, if he takes the shots that are given to him, you know, don't force anything. Try and get the ball to Tubelis and Balo. If they're not, you know, if they're open, great. If they're not, you know, swing it around. we got great shooters and Courtney Ramey and Kylan Boswell, Palo Larson's doing well. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoy, you know, what Kerr's doing right now. And I think if he continues down this path, Arizona really does have a shot to go far in March.
1: I agree. And I think uh, I think what will be very interesting, too, after this conversation is af- after the game, let's look at the statistics and see how, you know, see how he see how, how his statistics play out. And if he followed uh, suit with the previous two games. So it'll be exciting to watch. And I think, of course, as you said, with all of this coming together, hopefully, like you said, to suddenly has a, he, he needs a breakout game. He really needs to explode. It was nice seeing Bolo finally, you know, have start to come back to form and have a breakout game. But Tabellis needs to do that. He kind of got in a funk with getting settled down with fouls and stuff, starting with that Stanford game. And, uh, you know, the the uh, little incident with the kicked ball really kind of he, he's just been off for a little bit. And I think that if he just, cal- you know, just calmly gets into it, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. Uh, But, you know, it's stirring in there when you have these frustrating things happening over and over. You know, he's not the type of guy who's driven by the fact that he is the leading scorer and uh, rebounder in the Pac-12. He doesn't pay attention as close to those things as was evident when he wasn't even paying attention to some extent in driving to get more points and rebounds in the game where he blew up for over 40. Right. My my,
0: my biggest thing with Tubalus is I want him to overcome a confidence issue if that's kind of what this is if this is a confidence issue i want him to overcome that because i can guarantee you in his head he's thinking oh no not again please don't let this be like last year where you know i just kind of faded away and and i couldn't do anything in march i couldn't do anything in the tournaments that i wanted to to thrive in um so am that's why i'm hoping this asu game gets him back on track he feels good he feels comfortable uh, and starts to dominate like we know he can
1: and, and Tommy's good at running plays to get players to do that. So my best example is like Kirk Kreese. Kirk Kreese is a streaky three-point shooter, perimeter shooter. And you can tell Tommy's given him the go-ahead to just launch that thing. And when he was in the middle of that, he, when he's in the middle of a poor shooting streak, Tommy's clearly given him the go-ahead to, to just let it rip. And you can see, you can see because he, he just does it. Tommy doesn't like to yank him out of the game because he launches up three threes in a row that don't go in. He, he lets him, you know, shoot through it. Let it happen, and I think he'll do the same with Tabelas. He'll put him. He'll run plays that make sure he has a chance to do what he does. And uh, ASU, is gonna, ASU is going to ASU is going to. You were asking about what I expect. Also, I expect ASU's with their, the way their defense works. Of course, they're going to collapse on the bigs. They're going to you know, go crazy, and they're going to be swinging their hands around trying to knock the ball away and so forth. So it'll be a fun game for Tabelas to just like get right back on track. You bet. And
0: uh, at the end of the day, this is a rivalry game. Rivalry game. So anything can happen, right? you know, it's passion. You know, this game is going to be very passionate. It's going to be ASU being desperate. Arizona is trying to continue to be on that two seed line. Uh, and who knows if ASU drops, or I'm sorry, if UCLA drops a game uh, between now and the the final of the Pac-12 regular season, Arizona still has a chance if Arizona can beat UCLA and UCLA loses uh, one more time, hopefully to Arizona. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's, who knows what's going to happen on Saturday? I expect Arizona to come out really strong. I expect them to play really well. Uh, I, I just don't know that ASU has enough firepower in the end. Just like you said, they always start off strong. ASU does, and then they start to fade. That defense fades, and their three-point shooting fades. You know, it happened in at Desert Financial last year. You know, ASU got off to a 16 to three lead, uh, and the crowd was just rocking. They were so excited and enjoying it. And then Arizona went on a run and took the lead and ended up winning by 20. So ASU is known to give up those big leads. Arizona's done the same thing at ASU, but I I think Arizona's going to come ready to play and it should be a fun game on
1: Saturday. I, I think so too, and and I mean ASU, we've seen ASU in desperation situations. So you and I have att- you and I have attended the Pac-12 uh, tournament quite a few times, and ASU was in a situation previously where to get into the, uh, you know to get any good seating in the tournament, they had to win a few games at the Pac-12 tournament, and we and we were always stunned that they were playing the Wednesday game and they didn't even try. It looked like they didn't even try, and it's like how can you not get motivated? to play knowing that you don't have to win the tournament per se. I mean, that's nice if you could, but uh, realistically, you just need to win a couple of games to secure your uh, secure where you're at. And they just, just don't show up. And so let's see what, what they bring tomorrow, knowing that they're in a tough situation. I don't think particularly you take into account the number of at large bids. I just don't think ASU makes it in unless they get they have to get some of these quad one wins. And I mean, this is probably the worst (laughs) way to have to get them but it's just that's the situation they're in i think
0: so let's go over that just real quick this is an arizona basketball podcast but i do want to go over what do you think it'll take for asu to go dancing Uh, and then let's talk a little bit about bobby hurley and, and do you think he's done enough to keep his job or do you think the end for bobby hurley might be coming soon uh let's talk about asu dancing what do you think it'll take asu right now has a net of 66 as you said earlier uh Between quad one and quad two, they are eight and seven. Uh, They also have a quad three loss, which is San Francisco. And then they have a quad four loss, which is Texas Southern at Desert Financial Arena. So that one hurts. Um, Like you said, they lost to San Francisco by 37. San Francisco, like you said, they might be getting better. You know, they gave Gonzaga a good run, but they are not 37 points better. than. No, 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 no. You
1: just don't let that happen. The only the only good thing that as you can say about that 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 was on the road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, and this year has proven that
0: it's tough to win on the road. But come on, thirty seven points to San Fran.
1: Yeah, that was just that they really, like I said, if you look at their schedule, it's just they just have a few wins in there that they could have taken. They could have, they should have shown up for, and then we wouldn't be having this discussion. But like I said, they're just not going to get it, and I think it's going to take. Uh, they might have to get. They might get in with one, but I think they have to get two wins on this uh, trip. No, the thing is, is these are like quality wins. They're not only quad one wins, but you do road wins against uh, big opponents. If they get one against UCLA or Arizona, that uh, is going to carry a lot of weight. Particularly, come you know, since it's towards a, it's the end of February. That's going to carry a lot of weight. They're going to really need that. Uh, I think. But the thing that's crazy is just how crazy the net rankings work and how these quad one wins work. So on Thursday, UCLA got two quad one wins in the same day. Two quad one wins. And how do you say, you say well, how is that possible? So uh, it, it's just how the net rankings work is so that as they were beating Utah, Utah's 56 in the net, that got, them to, that got them the road win. But in that same day, Washington State moves up from 79th to 73rd. And though that's a quad two, the fact that they uh, it was a road game counts it as a quad one, and so they ended up getting uh, they ended up getting two quad one wins in one day.
0: That's impressive.
1: <laughs> and, and so there you go. I mean, it's like uh, UCLA is what who we're both going to face on the road, and we know UCLA's been on a roll. So if uh, ASU can get that. If anything, that is going to help their situation a lot, particularly, you know, being one of the last games of the year and then going into the Pac-12 tournament. It'll really instill confidence in them.
0: Yeah, I I tend to agree. I was going over US, or ASU schedule, and I was looking at their wins, and I'm t- sitting there going, well, they beat Creighton. They beat Michigan, but Michigan's on the bubble as well. Um, they beat Utah. Utah's on the bubble. They just don't have those quality quad one wins. And so getting a win – at USC or at UCLA, because I'm going to be honest, I really don't think they're going to get a win at Arizona. Um, But getting a win on the road at USC and at UCLA, that would go over huge for ASU. Um, I also think they need to make a deep run into the Pac-12 tournament. I don't necessarily believe that the Pac-12 tournament really adds a lot to the deciding factor and seeding for the NCAA tournament. However, I think a team that is desperate like ASU If they make a deep run in the Pac 12 tournament and if they pick up a win at USC or at UCLA, I think that might get them in. I think they they would be close enough.
1: And I'll be clear too. I think I'm honestly believed through the years after watching this and watching seeding and betting on this is that the tournaments are only good for you. If you're or, or bad for you, if you're on the edge someplace. So, for example, if you're between a one and a two seed or you're between, you know, between seeding or you're in a situation where just on the, the just on that edge of the bubble, not just in the bubble, but just on the edge where something could swing it, then maybe a tournament helps you. The, and I've listened to the committees quite a few times say that they have the games on and they're watching the tournaments. But I don't think they make much of a difference outside of that. Right. Right.
0: Uh, so let's talk real quick. About Bobby Hurley, uh, he was hired at ASU in 2015. Uh, in his first year, they went to the NIT and lost in the second round. Uh, they went to the NCAA tournament in 2018, and they were in the first four and lost to Syracuse. They were in the NCAA tournament in 2019 in the first floor and first floor. And then they lost in the first round. They won their first game. They lost in the first round to Buffalo. The irony there being that Arizona lost to Buffalo the previous year and ASU gave us a ton of crap. And now they lost to Buffalo the next year. So that was kind of funny. Um, But really, that's that's their NCAA tournament and NIT summary over Bobby Hurley's career. So how close do you think he is to being on the hot seat?
1: I think he. I think he survives regardless of what happens this season. But the talk is starting to ramp up. You and I, you and I have had this discussion quite a bit because the thing that's really hard for a fan to take is when a team starts out or just really starts to show potential and then they collapse. And and Mm ASU has been doing that lately, to where they take off and then suddenly they just start having these uh, these losses that no one can explain. And this season was certainly uh, that way. I think that the conversation's ramping up. I think he survives this year, regardless of what happens. I think people have just accepted it, and that he's done enough for him. And they seem to be supporting him, and to some extent, I guess they like the brand, the name that he had as uh, as a a, a, you know just as a player himself. So, uh, but. The talk, is start, the talk is starting to show up. I've looked around at some of the media reports out of Phoenix and so forth just to see, you know, how much t- conversation there was in that space. And believe me, I could definitely see it ramping up now in this discussion about where is that program going. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think he's a good coach, and
0: I do think that he is perfect for ASU. I know we like to tease a lot because he's known for getting technicals and just throwing fits, and, you know, it's kind of fun to make fun of him. However, I do think he's a good coach, and I do think he's good for ASU. Uh, I just don't see the the tournament resume there that ASU is hoping to have and expecting out of Bobby Hurley. So I, I think he's probably safe, like you said, for this year. Um, but I think if he doesn't do some something dramatic next year, you know, they might be looking because, look, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we had an interim coach, Russ Pennell, and he, Russ Pennell. Made the Sweet 16 with Arizona. No coach in the 21st century for ASU has gotten that far. 1995 was the last time ASU got to the Sweet 16. So I think something's got to change. Something, you know, they have the, the talent, they have the players. They got the Cambridge Brothers this year. They got Warren Washington. They got DJ Horn. They got Frankie Collins. They've got good pieces and they've shown that they can win good games. You know, they beat Creighton, they beat Michigan, they beat Utah. You know, they can win these games. They were up against UCLA. Um, They were also up against USC. Uh, You know, I just think they need to convert those into wins.
1: Well, that brings up something, too. You and I have had this discussion, and this has been a theme, too. What's the difference between players and coaching? And what the theme we've been discussing is this idea that you can tell – when it's a coaching issue, when the coach calls a player, does makes a decision to do something, yank certain players out, put certain ones in, uh, do certain things based on the timing of the game, that's a coaching issue, right? It's not a player just having a bad game. That's a coaching issue. We know that. For Bobby Hurley, sometimes I question a lot of the decisions that have happened, particularly late game with the players and how he shuffled things around. And he needs to really rethink his strategy towards winning particularly late game late in the game when uh, the situation is getting critical. I think Bobby as a coach needs to really sit down and say, if he keeps proceeding the same way, he keeps getting these similar type of results. He, need to, he needs to think about that. Cause like you said, he's got the good players. He's got good players, no doubt.
0: Well, and I've heard over the last couple of weeks that he needs to decide what kind of coach he wants to be because, you know, a couple of years ago, ASU was in the top 10, top 20 in offensive efficiency and, and tempo you know, they were a high-flying, kind of like us. They were a high-flying, speedy team, um, up and down, scoring. And then all of a sudden, the next couple of years after that, they dropped to like 120th in offensive efficiency and tempo. And you're going, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on? Why Why are you not focusing on becoming a team that can run and gun and be fast or, you know, a team that's more methodical and kind of like a Virginia where you're not going to score a ton of points, you're defensive-minded,
1: uh, I just, I don't think he knows what he wants to be as a coach. No, that, that's so clear when you're watching the games. This is like we were describing is that the they, uh, to, for, for a while here, they were ranked top in uh, defensive efficiency. They're not top, but they were in the, you know, they were in the mix there in the top 10 and they were doing quite well, but they just constant they shift. They're, they start to do that as we were talking about earlier. And then it changes. It's, I don't know if it's, they're getting tired or what, but the, style of play changes significantly and it did against arizona what we were when we played him in desert financial and so i agree with you i think that if he needs to ch- choose what he wants the team to focus on how he's going to get there and he needs to put the he needs a player rotation that lines up with that if he's going to choose to go defensive he needs a defensive orientation in there it needs those players
0: right well we'll we'll look and see what happens we'll be anxious to watch what happens with ASU over the next you know, week or two and see if they can get some wins. Obviously we don't hope they win tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> other than that, we, we are rooting for them to get a win against USC and UCLA, especially against UCLA because Arizona is going to need some help if they're going to want to win the conference. Um, and, Obviously, Arizona picking up a win against UCLA helps, uh, but we'll see. It's it's a lot lot of fun. This is a great time of year, uh, you know, especially when you have teams that are kind of hanging in the balance and you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Arizona's not really one of those teams, but they kind of are with going between two and one. Um, so let's talk about that real quick. Joe Lenardi today has Arizona as a number two seed in the South. Uh, Alabama would be the number one. And then UCLA has passed Arizona as the number two seed in the West. Uh, Kansas would be the number one. Um, So right now, Joe Linardi has Texas and UCLA. As far as the two line goes, Uh, Texas and UCLA are above Arizona in the seed list. Um, But of course, any loss between one of those teams would uh, drop them and Arizona would move back up. Um, He also says that Arizona and UCLA are still in play for one seeds. Um, You know, what do you think?
1: I, I think that uh, part of what I talked about earlier about what happened with UCLA helped him shift the position. And I think that was what Nick Cronin was griping about is when the first reveal comes out, Arizona's number six and uh, UCLA's number eight. And he was questioning that, of course, he, he does forget that Arizona did beat UCLA. But what's hurting Arizona for uh, its seeding, of course, is that the losses outside of quad one. uh <laughs> You know, that that was the thing that was kind of hurting our net. And since the net is so fluid, of course, it's shifting that around. You and I have discussed this, and we think a two-seat is very realistic. That's where mm-hmm. we're really expecting to be. And to me, that's where I want to be. The ideal situation would be uh, if Arizona got the 2 seed in the West with the Kansas as number one. The way Joe Lenardi showed it recently was the way I would – that would be my dream bracket is to have, giving us the best chance to go to the Final Four and beyond. So – um, I'm thinking that UCLA shifts because of the, they were playing this week and we weren't, right? And so they had an opportunity to get two quad one wins in one day. And then they also did a whole lot to secure their position for the Pac-12 title because we are, we were counting on this uh, road trip, the mountain road trip in the Pac-12 when they have to play Utah and Colorado. That's a tough trip on the road. So. Yep. And so they secured one of them. So uh, now it's a, it's let's see what happens the rest of the way. But as you said, both Arizona State, interesting enough, and Arizona have a chance to influence the outcome of the Pac-12 race as well as the seating, because that L.A. road trip just keeps gaining in importance. It's it's fun having
0: it this close. It's fun having the, the drama, if you will. Um, you know, Arizona has been in cases where it's just dominated the conference. Uh, but I do enjoy a little bit of this drama. And, you know, it's coming down to the wire. Who's going to win it? Um, you know, go Buffs. That's all I have to say. Go Buffs tomorrow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. And come on, the guys in UCLA are used to playing at sea level. What are they going to do? What are they going to do in Boulder? Come on. It's going to be, it'll be very, very interesting. The funny thing is UCLA is, as, great as their record is as great as their ranking is and everything else i've watched them play a bunch this season and i have to say they just go through periods where their offense is just utter i mean they just utterly collapses for some reason and that's why they have played so many close games uh, at times where they didn't need to be that close so let's uh, see what happens if at uh, <laughs> when they're up at an altitude in, on, and let's hope that the buffs get that win because otherwise if they win that one boy it's going to just Make it really, really tough for us to go going into LA and just put that much more pressure on.
0: Well, and Colorado is one of those teams too. Even when they're not in the hunt to be in the NCAA tournament, they still tend to win those games that really don't matter to them, other than the fact that they got a really solid win. They're good at winning those games, and like you said, Colorado's not an easy play, easy place to play. Not just because of the elevation, but they have really, really good fans, and their fans yeah. bring. And it, it feels like they're on top of you almost the entire game. And so uh, it can be very difficult to play in Boulder. So, uh, yeah, I, I look for UCLA to have a tougher game tomorrow than they did against
1: Utah. Utah oh, is so I agree. I agree. If Colorado put, brings it together and they uh, play with the emotion they played earlier on, like beating Tennessee on, on the neutral court, they can bring that energy and so forth and let their fans infuse that energy into them. Colorado has a good shot at. Uh, upset at UCLA. I don't doubt that at all. We've seen how tough Colorado is in uh, many games. They always have played us tough, um, usually no matter where we play them, whether even in the Pac-12 tournament, remember how tight that was with Colorado. Uh, So uh, I just hope they bring that energy to the game because we certainly need that help. Um, And to some extent, I mean, there's an excitement about having UCLA uh, have a continuous win streak as they did when they came into McHale, and then you take them out. You're the one who does it. But that won't get us the Pac 12 regular season if uh, that happens. Correct. Correct. All right.
0: And uh, before we go, let's just briefly talk about the whole Alabama situation. Uh, it's just, I don't, I can't believe what's going on. Uh, Nate Oates, Greg Byrne, they made comments, and it seems a little fishy that they learned new information the other day. They still let, Uh, Brandon Miller play he did score 41 points in an overtime win against South Carolina and I tell you what Alabama needed all 41 of those uh, because South Carolina who is terrible uh, played really well at home and they put Alabama on the ropes
1: I, I I'm really dismayed by this and particularly as everybody probably knows if you're an Arizona fan Greg Byrne of course was our AD uh, for a while, and uh, previously to that at Mississippi State, which both Ricky and I have a tie to. But uh, I, I'm really, really dismayed by what uh, what Bama chose to do. And and my thinking is like this. Okay, I get it. So Brennan, Brennan Miller hasn't been convicted of anything, and they've even made the statement, the Tuscaloosa police have made the statement that uh, there's nothing they could charge him with. But When we play, when you play at this level in college sports for a premier program like Alabama, it's not, it's about optics, it's about the vision and ethics that you broadcast to the rest of the world of what you mean for your players. I mean, players literally have to sit on the bench for showing up late for practice or showing up late to a team meeting. And in this case, this was a situation where uh, several players were in the midst of the highest order of crime that there can be. And the investigation was still ongoing, and Alabama does nothing to address that, doesn't take him out of the spotlight, doesn't sit him until they know more. And we're talking about a situation where the player has gun a bullet shots in his car. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have a complex situation here that resulted in a person dying. And then today, I think it was today that Greg Byrne and uh, Nate Oates came back and said that Alabama's doing the quote-unquote right thing. By just letting it this letting it go, let, letting the status quo proceed, and that really disturbs me. That in the midst of this investigation that's still ongoing, where decisions haven't been made, that you think that that's the right thing. I, it's just I'm at a loss to even begin to express my dismay and disappointment that uh, that uh, that this is the way Alabama would proceed. Well, and I'm not all for you know.
0: Suspending him for the season or you know, getting him in massive trouble, but telling him, Hey, Brandon, we're going to sit you out until we figure out what's going That's on. That's right, we, we yeah. want to make sure we have all the details. You know, you're not in trouble right now, uh, but until we do have the full story, we're going to sit you out just to be you know, safe. Um, and once we find out all the information we need, we've done our investigation, then you make the decision, Okay, Brandon, you're cleared, you're good to play, let's go. Um, but to do nothing and just let him, you know, carry on like nothing's going on. You know, people were given Aiton a ton of garbage when he was suspected to take a hundred thousand dollars from Sean Miller. Um, And now it seems like there's nothing there's, you know, people aren't really crying for Brandon Miller to sit out. And even the announcers, you know, they were gung ho and real excited and look what Brandon Miller's doing and look at him do this. And Oh man, he's amazing. And, it just it doesn't make sense to me.
1: I mean, we we voluntarily as a school chose to take a take a, a break for the postseason because of the, the optics looked bad for Arizona at the mm-hmm. time. And we did the right thing and said, look, we're gonna start to we're gonna penalize ourselves because even if it hasn't been forced upon us, we need to do something that shows what is right. Look, there's no charges filed, you know, or anything like that. The part that gets me here is that these programs are very public for a university. They're as public as the university gets for the rest of the world. And the optics and the way you show your ethics and what the, your values are and how they stand out are what matters here. I'm not saying I agree with you completely. I'm not saying take him out for the year. I'm not ever even asking for that. I'm not saying he's guilty, per se. But if you are contextually in the wrong place at the wrong time, you've got to, you've got to sit back and take a pause. You got to sit back until it's all straightened out. You cannot just step right back in and say uh, life is usual. Nothing happened. In this case, somebody died in a in a shooting. Okay, and you're you're involved one way or the other because you're with the with the folks. I, I just am uh, at an utter loss and dismayed. And when they doubled down and today said it was the quote unquote right thing, you know, and that Nate of course went to Greg and you know they talked about it and Greg reinforced it was the right thing. The level of disappointment I felt and how much. Uh, uh, you know, just how frustrated I was that that's the way they approach this. Really, I was disappointed in Greg Byrne to a level I can't even explain. Uh, so that that's that's the that's the way it goes. Let's see in the next week, as this is a really dynamic situation. Let's see how this uh, evolves.
0: Yeah, and it's it's tough. And you mentioned this comment earlier. Nate Oates said the words wrong place, wrong time, and that just felt insensitive. I know he's come out and apologized for saying, phrasing it that way. Um, But yeah, it's just, it seems very fishy and it just feels like Alabama's not doing enough. And, you know, I think Brandon Miller would understand if they said, Hey, we're going to sit you out until we figure out what's going on. Let's just
1: get you out of the spotlight because what the impression I get in the focus, I mean, I get it. He had his, he has a career game. He has a career game in overtime and right. They get, he gets 41 points as a career high, but my God, yeah, what your what the message that is communicated to the rest of the world is, it's much more important to win and make money than it is to take uh, to deal with uh, the program ethics and the values that you instill. I thought a coach's number one goal is to develop players, to develop them mm-hmm. as human beings, as well as uh, as well as players that Lute Olson, Sean Miller. uh tommy lloyd all talks about the development of the person as well as the player not just the player they become family because you're trying to instill a sense of right and wrong at work ethic all these things that both tie in personally and professionally to how they'll be the next level player in the future and yep. it's not just about becoming a better player it's becoming a better person they all say that right what alabama has just told us is it doesn't matter yeah
0: it's sad it's very sad and like you said, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. You know, hopefully uh, the right, you know, justice is done. Um, but we just want to make sure that, you know, Alabama is doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. It's it's a very, very tough, very sad situation. But um, well, that's our podcast for tonight. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been a preview of the Arizona ASU game. Again, that's on Saturday at 12 noon, Arizona time. So make sure you check that out. If you have the time, it's a, a great game. It will be a great game because, you know, these two teams hate each other. Uh, so it's always been a great rivalry game. And we look forward to seeing what happens, getting our, our guys back on track, especially to Bellis. Um So any final thoughts, Ed?
1: Yeah, I'd like to say uh, bear down Arizona. Uh, let's get the win. And I also want to mention, everybody, if you're listening, please uh, join us. We're also going to preview the LA road trip because of the criticality of that, regardless. So please join us for the LA road trip preview before the actual event occurs. So we're looking forward to for covering it and bringing you the best of Arizona basketball and college basketball in general.
0: You bet. Yeah, we'll be uh, doing a post game after the ASU game tomorrow, uh, which is Saturday, and then we will have the LA preview next week. Um, all brought to you from Brisbane, Australia.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> all right, Ed, thank you so much. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to everyone on the next podcast. Let's go cats. Bear down.